Star Wars Monthly Monday number six. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Two! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Sheep flying, no good, rotten, fork flushing, low life, snake licking, dirt eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood sucking, dog kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat ass, bug eyed, stiff legged, spotty legged. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, from the brink of death, it's me, Chris Honeywell, with uh, Scott Gardner here, and together we're two true freaks. We're two sick freaks. Yeah. Um, two sick, unemployed freaks. <laughs> Coming to bring you an awesome, fun-filled, exciting show as we dump whatever energy we have at the beginning of the day <laughs> before we just roll over and croak. That being said, it's going to be a great show. <laughs> that's that's the thing, though. I'm sick, but I slept nine hours, so I'm I'm feeling chipper. So I'm around the house, and hey, why not talk Star Wars? There you go. Although right off the bat, I just want to say it's kind of a, a bad day for bad Star Wars day for Star Wars actors. Yeah, I heard this. What, what's going on? You were literally, telling me about... Literally, this is brand new news. I haven't even, like, popped this up on Google, but um, my roommate was showing me on her computer as I was coming upstairs to record this, but uh, Dave Prowse, who's 73, has uh, prostate cancer, which is... That's what got Frank Zappa. But um, not, not cool. Not cool. I'm just hoping... Well, he's 73 years old, so... You know, I don't, you know, I'm not sure what kind of prostate cancer was, but, but Zappa lived with it for many years, you know, before it finally claimed him. So hopefully he's got some, some time in, and, you know, I'm, I'm I don't want to say glad anywhere in here, but, you know, it's, it's nice that he's not like 50 years old, you know, or something like that. It's better, I guess, that he's like 73. Right. You know, and, uh, Liam Neeson's wife just, uh, is it a skiing? It's sort of tangential to Star Wars, but still bad news. Well, in Star he, he, Wars was, well, he was Qui Gon. Yeah. yeah, he was, was Qui Gon, so he's he's important to the prequel trilogy. And uh, his wife just got in, uh, and uh, and now I can't remember her name for the life of me. But sh- just today she got in. A, well, I don't know if today she got in the skiing accident, but uh, they've just declared her brain dead. 
So that's really sad. She was she was young, you know. Re- rel- younger than, way younger than Dave Prowse. So it's kind of kind of sad for Liam Neeson. Yeah, our uh, our thoughts and thoughts and prayers go out to their families. That's that's pretty messed yeah. up. Yeah, like you say, not a not a good day for for Star Wars. For Star Wars uh, cast. Fan- yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but on well, a lighter uh, note. But on a lighter note, um, <laughs> we got some wonderful you... Star Wars for for this this month. We got the fifth episode of Clone Wars and sixth sixth episode. Sixth, s- you're right. You're right. We're six. We're half a year into these monthly Mondays. That's right. I'm, thinking, that? I'm I'm way back in last month, man. What does it matter with me? And see um, all those people, all those floods of emails that said you assholes won't last t- two months. Piss on you, people. I know we're and, still here, and you know we're what? Still Just, strong. I love it because out of sheer vengeance, we answer every one of those emails too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might have taken us three days each answering all the hate mail, but we we justify that hate mail by. <laughs> responding to it <laughs> and living up to it and here we are living go. up to it <laughs> there you go but uh then we got some star wars comics yeah and, uh, i just got caught up episodes. on the uh, on the uh dark horse um Ooh. star wars the clone wars series now this isn't the digest size this right. is the uh it's not quite a monthly. I think it must be a bi-monthly. I'm not sure what the frequency is. I, I just kind of get them every every so many uh, comic shipments. But, uh, yeah, I'm getting caught up on that. And I didn't realize it's starting out, but the, the, the plot line is a continuing plot line through the, through the whole thing. I thought they would be kind of standalone issues like the digest size are, but this, this thread runs right through. And what it is is uh, Ahsoka's people – um, the, the whatever planet it is they come from, uh, or that she comes from, her, her people have been abducted. So she and Anakin are trying to figure out, you know, what what's become of her people and where they are. And it gets wrapped up in this whole thing with, uh, like a slaving, uh, like a slaving trade, you know, slave trade type of thing and all that. And it's actually a pretty interesting story. And it's it's really moving along in the and I'm up to issue four. And the fourth issue ended very much uh, feels a lot like kind of how uh, the beginning of the the final battle sequence in Attack of the Clones, you know, where they'd all been captured and they were put into an arena type of thing. You know, Anakin was he had been successfully pulling off you know a masquerade as a as a slaver, and he had brought Ahsoka with him. You know, posing as basically his his merchandise. You know, what he was going to trade, and he was tricking the, the, the chewy trick. Yeah, and he was tricking the the queen of the slave people or whatever into like welcoming him into the inner circle or whatever. But his plan got all screwed up because uh, Obi Wan got captured, and now it looks like they're gonna put Obi Wan in like a like gladiatorial type thing, kind of like you know similar to the end of uh, Attack of the Clones. And it's getting really good. I, I enjoy it a lot, and originally had kind of. Uh, considered it to be along the lines of Clone Wars Adventures because the 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 art style is stylized. somewhat that cartoony. Yeah, it's yep. that stylized cartoony type feel. But actually, the I don't know how much a kid would really get out of this because the the story is fairly um, adult and has a lot of politics and that sort of thing. So 
I enjoy it quite a bit. I had originally bought the first issue for my youngest who likes to read Clone Wars adventures with me. And he didn't seem to care for it. And now I understand why that the, the story is actually a lot more complicated than just your, shoot you know, up. like the TV show or yeah. the or the Clone Wars adventures where it's a fairly straightforward shoot 'em up or whatever. Now, but, I've, been, uh, I've been meaning to ask you something about the, the Clone Wars TV show and, and the comics because, well, I've read some of the original comics from the Cell animated, mm-hmm. the first series of Clone Wars, and I really liked them. They, and they were like, very much like the TV show. But don't you find, I know to me it does, um, I've been finding that watching Clone Wars and, you know, the, the um, sort of um, enhancement of that time period in the story, and not even as much as the, sto- the, the, the story being enhanced, but just the feel of episode one, you know, the episode one for, through three time period universe is really getting... Um, this TV show is really enhancing it for me. It's really bringing it more, a little more to life, and and uh, it makes, um, you know, I just, I've, I've just been um, sort of instead of listening to music lately, I've been like sometimes having a movie that I've seen, you know, many times, just sort of popping up in the corner of my computer, and I'll watch it while I'm doing something else, doing some Photoshop or something. And I've been watching the Star Wars movies again, just sort of randomly picking one out from the six movies. And uh, I'm one of those people. I really like the episodes one through three. I don't care. I'll stand up for episode one, you know, as an enjoyable movie. And I'm right. of the philosophy that it's George Lucas's baby. He can do whatever he wants with it, you know. He doesn't owe me tribute to my childhood or anything like that. I'll just take, you know, as an artist, I'm going to accept whatever he does as as what he wants to do and where he wanted to take it. Well, anyway, I've been finding, I was watching episode two up in the corner and I was just noticing, I was really enjoying it a lot more because I think Clone Wars, because I'd been watching a couple episodes of Clone Wars before that, you know, like a few hours before. And I was noticing it, it pulls me into that whole universe a little more. It makes me feel... It makes me feel as if it's, I don't know, more of its own independent universe, you know, like like the like the original Star Wars trilogy, you know, where you're just, I mean, when I watch the original Star Wars trilogy, I'm just inside that, that universe and that mind frame, and uh, I don't know, I th- I, I'm, I'm really digging the, the, the visual look of the, you know, the people are stylized, but the spaceships and stuff, when you have a space battle in Clone Wars... It really, you know, it really has that Star Wars feel, you know, um, whether it's the camera angles or how the special effects are presented, how the battle is presented, it really makes you feel like you're swept up into it and sucked into it. And uh, I don't know. How about how about you? Yeah, I, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. Um, you know, it, it, one of the things that's that's funny and probably a good thing for me is that I haven't been quite as intense about being into every aspect of the prequel universe the way I was the original universe. Yeah. Because if I was, I kind of wonder if that would destroy some of the enjoyment for me as far as fretting the timeline and things like that. Right. Because the time they, they do seem to be playing kind of fast and loose with their own timeline and, and jumping around quite a bit and things like that. Typically that sort of thing really bugs me. 
So I'm actually glad that I'm a little bit detached this time around and, and not sweating the small stuff. Cause I, I was looking at, I haven't read it yet, but the other day I've been working on getting the original 10 issues of star Wars, clone wars adventures. The the one that was based on the animated on the first series. Yeah. Yeah. And the first series of clone wars on cartoon network. And I got one the other day, I think it was number three and there was a story in there. Now granted I haven't read it. So maybe I shouldn't, you know, Maybe I'm just talking out my ass here, but it looked for all the world like th- there was a fight in this issue between um, Ventress and uh, and Grievous, and it looks like he takes her out, and it looked like you know just thumbing through the story that this happened fairly early on, at at some point between um, episode two and three, and you know like it, it almost looked like. He had right. taken her out to prove himself to Count Dooku. That, well, that would make sense because really they they only, you know, they only have one at a time. So Dooku was working on, you know, the 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 um, the Emperor is working on Dooku, and Dooku was working on Ventress and and Grievous, and so one of them one of them would have to take each other out. You know, that was you know just like in um, Episode Six where. You know, when, 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 you know, I mean, Vader has to know that when the Emperor's like, you know, try to get your son in, that his son was going to replace him because that's how it works. And, you know, there, there's only one Padawan. And now right. in episode one, they said there's only two Sith at a time. So that's what made me wonder about Ventress. It's like, so why does, you know, if it's, if you got, if you got Palpatine and, and Dooku, how can how can Dooku be grabbing another you know another Padawan? In- See, I've always been a little bit confused on that whole thing with the two at a time thing. Does that mean two at a time as far as one master, one apprentice, or does that mean literally there's only two Sith in I the whole freaking galaxy? That's, that's what I that's what I took it. There were only two in the whole galaxy, and one was a master and one was an apprentice, and that and that was all that was sort of the galaxy allowed, you know. I pictured that as like the thing about Seems an evil a little Jedi. One-sided. Well, the thing about evil Jedi is that's the the entire thing is they don't check themselves, whereas the good Jedi supposedly are checking, you know, are trying to work in harmony with the universe and for the forces of good. Where an evil Jedi will just do whatever they want for power, or control, or what you know, whatever they're after. So, so you know, if you had a whole army of Sith like. Or well, not like the Jedi are an army, but if you had a number of a good number of Sith, you know, they. I mean, personally, I just don't think the the Jedi would um, stand a chance. You know, I don't think the universe would stand a chance. They'd just ride ride roughshod over it, you know, and they'd probably destroy it eventually, just battling amongst themselves. Or that could be what it is too. If you have more than two, they, you know. They're, they're going to eventually go after each other. I'm not sure, but but what I took out of it was there were only two ever. <laughs> you know, when when Sith popped up, they popped up two at a time, and uh, you know that was that was the whole thing when when they when they wipe out um, um, Darth Maul in Episode One. You know, the Emperor's like, well, gotta find somebody else, and that's where Dooku comes in. But I don't know. Was Grievous? Was Grievous even enough of a human being 
or well, or a life form to be a Sith. That's that's one thing I wondered. He never used any Jedi powers. You know, he was never he never right. force pushed anybody or anything like that. Or he couldn't he couldn't suck his lightsaber up to his hand. You know, or or anything. So he was pretty much a machine with what looked like you know a set of lungs and heart and and some eyeballs, <laughs> and that looked about the only. Um, and I wasn't sure if he was like a life form that they turned into Grievous, or whether he was just a robot where they're like, we're gonna grow a fake heart for whatever reason. Why a robot would need a pumping heart <laughs> is is beyond me. You know, a, a flesh pumping heart. So I'm assuming he was like some sort of life form that they turned into into a robot and was sort of the forerunner technologically of Darth Vader. Right. Or, you know, right. Or, or yeah, the, that's the same sort of technology, too. you know, he was sort of yeah, that that transitory step. <laughs> so I don't know. Once again, we're tangenting all over the place. All uh, over the place. That's okay. As long as it's about Star Wars, we're okay. We're we're golden. <laughs> well, so, and we can just tell people, "Hey, we're sick." We're sick and unemployed, man. We're losing our minds. Well, know? they already know that we're sick. This this time we're actually ill as well. We're sick, ill, twisted, and unemployed. We have nothing to lose. We will say anything. We are men on the edge. That's right. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's take a quick break so that I can get uh, something to drink and some medicine in me. And we'll All come right. back with episode six of Star Wars The Clone Wars and then after that we'll be covering issues what is it 16 and 17 of Marvel Comics Star Wars and these are two fantastic issues so we'll be right back Star Wars The Clone Wars Trust in your friends eh? and they'll have reason to trust in you Anakin Skywalker, desperately outnumbered, refuses to retreat from General Grievous's approaching fleet. Launching a daring ambush attack, Anakin is successful in repelling the Separatist forces, but at a terrible cost. His friend and companion, R2-D2, is lost in the battle. Programmed with vital and strategic Republic information, R2 must be retrieved before he can fall into enemy hands. Anakin, Ahsoka, and a new R3 unit set out to find the missing droid. But due to mishaps caused by R2's replacement, the mission fails. So what did you think about this one? I liked it. Um, It really uh, picked up for me when, uh, you know, they went to retrieve R2 and they found out that he wasn't in the husk of Anakin's ship. And they found the, the traitor guy who was sort of a... He was a combination of what was that? Which was it? Bosk. He was a yeah. I looked this up, and he's actually a member of Bosk's race. Because uh, the second time I watched this episode, it was either the second time I watched this episode or when I watched the part two of the episode, I got to realizing that he had the same kind of arms. Yes. And so I looked him up, and sure enough, yeah, he's he's a member of the of that same race. He's just like a fat version, basically. But yeah, fat. he is the same kind of guy as. Right. There's a name for it. I can't remember what it is at the moment. They mention it in the episode. It's like 
Sadocean or some something like to to that effect. Right. But uh But he's like yeah. a combination of Bosque and um um what's his name? Wado. With, uh, Wado. Yeah, he's got the you know, he's the same sort of thing. And he's a and he's a trader, a junk trader. And uh I really like the I really like when they get into his ship and they're and they're looking um you know, looking around in the cargo hole for R two and uh the R three unit that they brought along with them who Ahsoka's trying to get Luke to bond, or Luke, uh, Anakin to bond with, but, you know, <laughs> Anakin is sort of, everybody's looking at Anakin funny, even Obi-Wan, because he's just very sentiment. you know, people are like, what, he's sentimental about this droid, you know? Because when, uh, when Anakin tells him R2's gone, Anakin's like, or uh, Obi-Wan's like, oh, well, you know, you can always get another R2 unit. There's millions of them, you know, right. and... And you can see uh, Anakin and Ahsoka look at each other like, "Whoa, no!" <laughs> so, so that was a little, little weird. But when they go after R two and and the R three unit screw, screws up and uh, turns on all the uh, IG eighty eight units, this is a yes. That that's the best part of it. That's when you get yeah. to see the IG eighty eights do what they do. It, it's sort of akin to, uh, you know, Episode one where you finally got to see Jedi's doing what Jedi's do. You get to see those. You get to see that robot, you know, why that robot would be a good bo- bounty hunter. And uh, it was any, very Any time at all that we can finally get a little more than just, you know, the 15 seconds of fame that the original bounty hunters got, you know, any time those guys get another little piece of the limelight, you know, be it, you know, like Django Fett, you know, in, in episode two or right. any anything like that, I, I'm just – I'm in Star Wars geek heaven because, you know, that was always – that's as like much the as exception I love to Empire. your rule. What's that? That's like the ex- exception for your rule because you get sort of you can get sort of you know pissed off at the self referential stuff where you're like, oh, why are they you know why yeah. out of all these characters are they they bringing up these? But I guess you got a soft spot for the. Oh, the I always hunters. have liked the bounty hunters. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to remember going to see Empire at the theater over and over and over again, largely just for that that. What is it? It can't be more than ten <laughs> seconds right. that we see them, but just to see them because somehow they exuded badass. They never did anything. Most of them never even talk, but they just had that aura of oh, these guys are cool. When, you the, know? when the one imperial officer like walks up to Bosk's foot, <laughs> that's just a great little scene. He looks at his foot. And he looks up, and Bosk is sort of looking down at him, just like you know. But yeah, yeah you get yeah you get that impression that it's it's. It's just like seeing a badass marine or something like that, or a Navy SEAL, biker. where you go, or a biker, where you see that person, and you go, that person can and could, like psychologically, tear me into pieces if they wanted to. You know, <laughs> they know how that that is a person who knows how to, do, you know, and that's what those bounty hunters gave off the same, yeah, that same right. aura of, you know, yeah. <laughs> I only had just a few notes for this episode, but that was my biggest one. Was I just wrote assassin droids, awesomeness? <laughs> I did love that scene. Yeah, you know, they're jumping around and spinning, and very uh, well. They're very similar to how Grievous was in Episode Three, with you know the walking on their you know like spider crab like and all that. I, I love that stuff. I, I yeah. thought that was really cool. And cl- climbing they, up the walls, and and there was something about their head that reminded me of a. Uh, and I can't remember what the name of it was because it was a ripoff of Rubik's Cube. You know, it was a little plastic puzzle game that came after Rubik's Cube. And it was sort of shaped like his head. And it had, like, 
rotating sections like his head. That's what I liked. His whole body was jointed to rotate in any manner that it had to. Right. And they really think of the physics of, you know, the, 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 that's, that's one good thing about – one of the other good things about Star Wars is when you have something, a piece of technology or machinery, you know, the way they, they put the physics of it is they, they can make it fantastic and realistic at the same time. When you see that robot in action, you see how it's physically built to do what it's doing that. It's not just doing it, you know, they're not like, let's make a cool robot and, and, uh, and make it jump all over the place. they like, let's design it so if not down to the hardcore physics of it, at least logically when you see it move, you can say, oh, that's great. You know, it's mo- the, you know Grievous was a perfect example of that. And when every, all his moves made perfect sense, you know, you could see how he was actually designed like a real machine instead of just making something that looked cool. They're functional too. Right. And these are something, you know, left over from the last movie, but they, you know, they give them a, a whole new spin to them without making it obviously like, hey, let's take this thing from Empire and, you know, put a put a new spin on it. It just works organically into the story. Right. And well, it, I and like it because it it's like, it. I like it because it's like you said, now you you finally see. You know how something that looked like a, you know a stiff wind would would blow it apart in Empire. Now you can see where he deserved to be in that lineup with the likes of oh, yeah. Boba Fett. You know that that this thing you know if it's the top of the line of the assassin droids, that it's gotta be one bad mother. You know, and 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 it goes along with my theory, and it also enhances Empire by going along with my theory that by the. Um, you know, episodes four through six, droids are kind of not liked too well in the universe after after the um, after the you know the the Clone Wars. That droids were sort of looked on as as being something that people didn't like. So right. probably a lot of those assassin droids were junked or whatever. So he was just like a surviving one. You know, he was one of the probably one of the last ones left. Just like right. Boba, just like Boba Fett was probably like a, you know, well, you know, he was wearing the he's wearing the battle armor of, you know, a past group of badasses, right? And uh, so, well, we now know Boba, Boba Fett's story, but you know, and and so it was more like Jango Fett, who was probably the last of those people, or or a renegade. But you know, there's this feeling that it was of the past, you know, and he was like, I'm maintaining my honor by, I wear my old honor or armor to symbolize my attachment to this time period. Um, I'd really like to hear from some of our listeners because sometimes I wonder, you know, I mean, I, I like to consider that both you and I know a lot about star Wars and we're both definitely diehard star Wars fans, but sometimes I'll, I'll admit that some of the minutia gets lost in my memory and gets a little jumbled sometimes. And one of those things is the whole backstory with Boba Fett, well, and Jango Fett, because to my mind, it seems like a lot of the backstory, and there wasn't a lot of it, granted, but but what there was of the backstory of Boba Fett and the Mandalorian warriors and all right. that seems to have kind of mutated and become more Jango's backstory now that we've gotten the. Uh, prequel trilogy because I remember Jang or uh, Boba Fett rather being 
you know, from a group of mysterious Jedi hunting warrior guys and everything. He was like the best and the baddest and the last or something to that effect. And I don't really think any of that follows anymore. You know, well, now that he we've could seen have gone, his... he could have gone and joined up with that, you know, because he knew about it from his father and he probably had good reason to hate the Jedi at that point to go hunt him. That's true. Uh, you know, so, so, so I mean, it, it could have happened, but it just, it's kind of a, it's a stretch in that, you know, oh, by the way, Darth Vader built C-3PO sort of stretch, you know, right. where it's like where you could, you could say, okay, I can fit that into the timeline, but it doesn't quite, it doesn't make sense as far as like what you would sort of picture reality of it, the reality of it being, but. Well, yeah. wasn't there part of his backstory being that he had at one time he'd been some sort of an imperial? I don't know if it was an officer or just a grunt, you know. But he had been an imperial, but somehow he'd done something to fall out of favor with the empire right. and, and he was some went sort into of the pariah. Yeah, and I I could see where. I, I think Boba Fett would have worked better for me in the prequel trilogy if he had just been another one of the clones. If he had been, right. say, like Rex, and somewhere along the line he struck off on his own and became Boba Fett, you know, to where he was already, you know, a, 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 almost a contemporary of Django, you right. know, and, and, and go forward for, with that story rather than the whole little kid thing. Because the little kid thing was done with Vader. So right. I almost feel like we, we should have got one or the other, but we didn't need we, two we don't, little we don't kids. Need, we don't need to see how two little kids were traumatized by loss, I guess, to become <laughs> bad guys. Yes, you know? exactly. It's, it's, exactly. It's, it's sort of redundant. But, you know, maybe he was trying to draw some pair, you know, I don't know. Well, it's bad know. enough that the mystique was was stripped away from one or the other, but when you strip that mystique away from both of them, yeah, I think the characters, as you see them in the later trilogies, they they lose a little something because yeah. now you've seen them at a quote unquote innocent. I don't know if Boba Fett really comes across as innocent necessarily, no. But I you know, you do see him as a child, you know, and and so you see him at a at a. He's still a child. I mean, there's still a yeah. couple points where he's like, "Oh, cool," you know, or like, right. "Come on, yeah. you know." He's like a kid would act. He's just one of those. I knew kids like that when I was that age that were. You know their parents. Their parents were maybe a little like weird. I don't want to say weird or poor, or, or their parents were a little more crazy. But you had those scrappy kids, you know that. Right. Yeah. And, and he he's definitely a little scrapper. Right. Well, I just only had a couple um, other notes, unless you had anything. Well, I, um, I I really liked the um, beginning battle. The way the beginning battle was not filmed but made. Um, especially when they hit the, the – the, uh, a part of the battle takes place in a asteroid field, and there's a really neat shot of uh, some – you know, as soon as they just start hitting the trailing edge of it, a couple asteroids bounce off Grievous' ship, and that yeah. looks really cool. And there's a great scene where the, the um, clones have set up an ambush, and they're all sitting on the far side of this one big asteroid, and when the ships start flying over them, they just crawl up over the – onto the top of the asteroid and just start firing their, their those sort of crawling tanks that were in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just start peppering the underside of Grievous's ships. Uh, you know, that that was a really nice... The battle scenes in this were beautifully put together and have that great swashbuckling 
start, you know, there's a there's just a beautiful shot of Grievous's ship going overhead, go, you know, passing over the camera, and uh, it's very reminiscent of the first scene in Star Wars where you know you get that yes. feel, you feel like it's just gonna scrape the edge of your eyeball, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's a lot of the beauty of Star Wars, and and I just and and something something just gives me a perverse charge to see the star destroyers as the good guys, you know, when you see the star destroyers coming in full of stormtroopers firing, you know, those are the good those are who you're rooting for. And that's no mean feat, you know. People say George Lucas is a hack or whatever, but he's got us rooting for the stormtroopers basically, you know. So it it really it 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 adds something to the visual language like we'll never look at I'll, I'll never look at uh, star destroyers the same again, you know. Right. When I see all the imperial technology and stuff it's like oh yeah that was once all the you know that's the way the good guys looked except everything's just blacker now in the, when the empire <laughs> takes over you know everything they painted everything with a layer of flat black or something but uh yeah that's that's basically uh my notes and and you said something about you you had something to say about the music and i think i'm gonna say the same thing so i'll wait to see what you have to say and well, that, the, that the whole beginning scene that you talked about with the with the asteroids and the and the Walker things on the asteroids and and the asteroids bouncing off, that whole beginning sequence, I was listening to the music in that and really digging it, and I was like, this is so reminiscent of something, and thank God that every once in a while my memory does actually still work kick it because uh-huh. yeah, right right now the music that you that the audience is hearing listening to us. I'm going to be playing Bram Stoker's Dracula. This is the opening theme to that movie. And if you have watched the episode that we're talking about, doesn't this music sound exactly like that? And that that's what hit my, you know, hit my memory with that because this Dracula music has been used in a lot of movie trailers. And uh, and that definitely sounds just like that. Unfortunately, the second half of the episode, uh-huh. largely the stuff with R2, suddenly they went into this weird techno. like techno rave music or something, and it was super annoying. Because up to this point, my notes it's on like, the score, it's like, I had it's like chill out techno music. It's yeah. it's a drum machine going. Yeah, I didn't. I I hate those. Uh, they did that with. Uh, with Justice League Unlimited, when it, when it switched over from being Justice League to Justice League Unlimited, suddenly all these great composers that had been doing the earlier, like the Batman, the animated series, and Superman, and Justice League, and all those, all of a sudden they all shook up their their um, formula and went to this weird techno shit, and I hated it. It was like a mixture of like techno. And like weird, like guitarish rock yes. score, and I hate that. It drives me crazy. You know why? Because it's easy to make. It's easy to generate. You know, twenty minutes of that than a composed, than a composed score where you have to get the orchestra together and have them rehearse out the parts. This one, it can be a guy sitting around with a synclavier or a computer and a keyboard and just putting it all in and you know dubbing in a couple guitar parts. Uh. Like, yeah, and and I understand with the with the um, you know that making a, a weekly half hour TV show of Star Wars could get expensive and crunched for time. So maybe they want to do a re you know it was like Star Trek the original series. They just reused a lot of the music, and I wish they'd just do that instead of 
being like, okay, we need something new here. Let's get some of that techno in real quick because right. it's it's not really scored to the visuals. It's the same same theory that the, they taught us the first week in film school is if you have something edited, an edited piece of film, where you edit it to any kind of rhythm, but you just edit it so it's so it's changing, and you play music with a with a good beat along with it. The the picture will start to look like it, it it you know like you made it to go along with it you know right it, it looks like it it uh, it'll almost magically look like it was timed up and that's the sort of the theory they're hoping for with this techno music because you know John Williams would have you know parts of the score would reflect the movement of a ship or the transition of a scene this is just sort of a playing backdrop you know. And it has a beat, so it sort of goes along a little bit. And uh, oh, another thing that I that I thought was that that wasn't I wasn't too hot on is there's another gratuitous fart joke in it, and they do it twice, like in thirty yeah. seconds. It's okay, the character farts, but have him fart twice. Come on. Well, that's I mean that's aiming at the kids yeah. in the audience, and I can I, I would can have enjoyed that as a kid. Yeah. Forgive that, but the one okay, they, this they, was my. I'll, I'll just put it this way: they're not good at fart jokes. Their fart no, jokes they're not. Are, they're, no. are forced. They they're like, okay, we got to put a fart joke in here. It's it's not a naturally flowing fart joke like the kind of fart jokes I love. You know those organic fart jokes that just flow from nature and and fill the screen and the audience with mirth and. Laughter like they're supposed to. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. You know the kind of fart jokes I'm talking about. <laughs> the ones that we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, my my last one, and this, and you know, I really did enjoy this episode. So I, I hope I yeah. don't sound like 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 I didn't enjoy it because I really did get a kick out of this one. I really did enjoy it. But uh, this has, and I, I guess for lack of a better term, I'm going to to create a new star wars term it's called i'm gonna call it the banthaism now you remember when i went on my little tirade i've probably done this a couple of times about the star wars novels i've been reading and how you can't get past a star wars novel without hearing something about banthas uh-huh and we'll be getting and, some banthas in the comics later on here too right in this episode well so this this thing with you know, well, like the Darth Maul novel that I read, the I can't remember, Shadow Hunter, I think it was called. He had the part in there where he was doing the different martial arts fighting moves, and they all had different animal names. And they were all animal names that we have heard in Star Wars. So here right. they live in a galaxy. And my understanding is the Teaming Star Wars galaxy, life. you know, they use all of it, not like Star Trek where they only use like a quarter of the galaxy has been explored. The Star Wars galaxy, to my understanding, is largely explored, and they're using the whole thing. Yet all we ever hear is like three or four different animal names, it seems like. You know, we hear about Banthas and Tauntauns and uh, uh, Nerfs and these different things. Wild Brats, Um, as we'll uh, hear about in the comics. Gundarks. Yeah. So... Uh, in this episode, we get it again where um, Ahsoka says something about faster than a Minoc minute. And I was just like, Ugh. Come on. I 
hate yeah. when they do that crap. It yeah. really does wear on me. You know, I, I, I know. I, I'm, well, they got to write down. She says stuff like she calls R2 R2 E2. So there you go. Well, that's <laughs> fine. I, you know, I can live with that. I'm, I'm that very, I me. think I'm very forgiving with this show. Yeah. You know, I'm very forgiving about the sky guy and, and, yes. snips and I'm very and forgiving about the little asides to the original trilogy and the little in jokes and stuff. But enough with the friggin' animal things. Enough with the banthas. You know, I'm. Well, that's I f- really am tired of that. Well, shit. here's the thing: when 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 people were t- like, okay, and we've really never seen it. Well, I'm sure in comic books and books they've actually run across Gundarks. Yes, you know, yes. There's, there's been Gundarks. That's coming up when we get to that episode where they battle the Gundark. That's going to be one of my major nitpicks with that All episode right. because it looks nothing like the Gundark that we'd already seen in the Marvel Star Wars. Comics. Right, so, right, yeah, right, right. That edge. But in the original trilogy, when they were when they mentioned a Gundark, it was just a mention, and you hadn't seen a Gundark before. You hadn't heard one mentioned after that. It was just right. thrown in there as a you know, as a as a figure of speech. And they should have kept going. You know, it shows a little lack of imagination exactly. to, to, to have to, you know. And But I think they feel that they have to be self-referential. I think they sort of overestimate how much. And maybe there's fanboys who just are going to go crazy for that sort of thing. But I think they overestimate how much self-referential stuff they need. And there's really, actually, if you're good at doing self-referential stuff, it's great. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy refers back onto itself and creates its own little thing and, you know, will jump through hoops to have characters that were way back, you know, how to bring them back and stuff. But it was it was comedy, and he was really deft at doing it and doing it wittily. And they're not quite as deft in Star Wars world of Absolutely. Of, of, of mixing things up or having – Having a little thing, you know. Every once in a while, there's stuff that works, like when they when they had the the um, uh, quick shot of the Wookies in Episode One. You know, you saw some Wookies in their own little in their Wookie section and stuff like that. That that sort of worked, you know. That sort of made sense. Okay, there's a delegation of everybody. Okay, we saw some Wookies real quick off to the side or whatever. But when that when it just becomes a very specific reference and very you know where somebody actually verbalizes it it usually comes off clumsy so you got that george lucas or whoever's you, you're paying to write this this <laughs> i don't want to say junk because it's not junk i'm loving it i just love it i eat it up i can't wait for the next episode i think there's i think i've seen up to episode 20 and i think there's two more for season one so season one will be 22 episodes which is pretty damn good oh yeah um yeah that's how you know how how that's how that's probably with commercials that's probably nine ten hours of star wars and i'm not going to complain about that Mm-mm. that's more that's more than the the either trilogy put together so yep. and and it's I mean, there's been episodes I've liked better than episodes, but other episodes, but there hasn't been a clunker yet. There hasn't been one that I've been like, "Man, that one sucks," you know. I yeah, did. even the Jar Jar one was, you know, watchable. I like enjoyable. I liked the Jar Jar one. I was like, finally, this character gets to do what he's supposed to do without it being annoying, you know? Because it's sort of it was sort of his own story. It's uh, not. We got to save it for the Jar Jar yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, it's coming up. But uh, 
But next month we'll be talking about the part two of this because this was a, a cliffhanger. You know, we found out at the end of it that the junk dealer really did have R2 and he was on his way to Grievous to sell it to him, which Luke and Ahsoka were not aware of. You know, they just, they went on to a Anakin, Anakin and Ahsoka. Uh, I keep wanting to call him Luke. What is the matter with me? I'm sick and unemployed. That's, I'll just keep saying that over and over again as my excuse (laughs) and slightly retarded. (laughs) I did too much LDS in the 60s. Oh, oh. You know, I I wonder sometimes, we haven't had the complaint yet, and I'm frankly, I'm shocked and amazed that we haven't, but I I wonder if it bothers our Star Trek listeners when we make Star Wars references, and and likewise when we make Star Trek references in the Star Wars episodes. Well, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I certainly hope so. (laughs) You know, I don't dig that hostility shit, man. I love them both. I just can't see why... You know, I mean, and why not have, it's like having your Beatles and Rolling Stones if you're a rock and roll and people, Beatles are better, Rolling Stones were better, blah, 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 blah. Eh, you know, I'll listen to Beatles for a while and I'll listen to every Beatles album. Oh, they're the greatest band ever. And then if I burn out a little bit, I can listen to every Rolling Stones album and really get into those and I don't really have to care who's, who are, who is the greatest, although I will say the Beatles were the greatest. <laughs> but... You know, I just don't I, – I don't know. I mean, I'm starting to get into Star Trek again because of our podcast and because of watching these old shows and and, and I've been watching the Star Trek movies and I just – I love it. And it doesn't – and I like to think that my brain and consciousness is big enough to absorb both those universes and appreciate them and love them both for their entirely different reasons, you know? Although, you know, I mean, if I if if somebody really gave me the choice and this goes back to our our grill the freaks episode of whether I I could have the Enterprise of the Millennium Falcon. Oh, my God. You know, that 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 would be one of those like Sophie's choice type questions where I would have to like I'd have to take a week of serious meditation and soul searching to figure out because, man, it would be great to have the Enterprise. But the Millennium Falcon would suit my needs, too. (laughs) <laughs> but the Enterprise would be cool but the but the Millennium Falcon is badass you know it's got turrets <laughs> whereas the Enterprise is majestic and noble and roomy and luxurious with rich Corinthian leather seats whereas the Millennium <laughs> Falcon you know you can I, I if I had the Millennium Falcon the first thing I would do is get one of those cabbie cabby things for the chairs you know what i'm talking about for the seats mm-hmm. where they have the little the beaded roll you know the rolled beads on it you know i'd p- plop one of those on the seat keep my back <laughs> supple but then again and then if it's the enterprise do i want the classic enterprise or do i do i want a holodeck enterprise because god damn i'd want one with a holodeck on it Ooh, that would be nice You've been drinking your energy drink again, haven't you? No, I'm sick. <laughs> I'm just naturally effusive and full of energy. But actually, you know what? If you had a holodeck, you could have the Enterprise and the Millennium Falcon. So I guess I just want a holodeck. <laughs> I would be, I would go on the holodeck and simulate the Millennium Falcon just to piss off the Star Wars fans. And to have the Star Trek, because technically Star Wars should exist in the Star Trek world. Technically, you could have Captain Kirk say, hey, you know, this is just like uh, 
Just like what Han Solo, the situation that Han Solo was in. And, and Spock would go, of course, from the popular movies of the 20th century that have evolved into mythology. I'd like to see that one time. <laughs> yeah, I would like to see that one time. That would be cool. Because they did in in you know the later series like uh, like Voyager and Enterprise, you know they oh, would yeah. watch like classic sci-fi movies and stuff. Oh yeah, and and you know you got to figure that they probably would too, you know, and and they and they live. Although they they tried a little bit to have stuff between you know beyond our time in it, but there was almost too much stuff from our time period. Sometimes in the holodecks, or you know from our time period back. But you'd, you would see sometimes they would have characters from future his, future history, you know, and stuff from future history. But I would like to have thought that maybe there would have been a lot more of that in the holodeck, a lot more things that we didn't rec- that we wouldn't recognize. So you've got you've got Star Trek on the brain. We're alienating all of our Star Wars listeners. <laughs> you had to say it because uh, the minute somebody talks about doing something annoying to people, that's when I want to start doing it. So I apologize. To all the Star Wars, all the, this. This it is doesn't all matter. Star You've Trek already downloaded right it, and we've already got the got the download <laughs> on it, so you don't have to listen to all of it. Oh, don't say that! <laughs> but I love you all. But listen to it. <laughs> they need to hang on my every word. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> they, you guys need to be forming groups about you know dedicated to which one of us you like best that you can fight over. Just like uh, Star Wars and Star Trek. Don't we get enough divisiveness <laughs> in this country? <laughs> Apparently I'm not. going to divide our listeners. Oh, I'd love to. And then we can conquer them easier. <laughs> well, with that, I think we need to take a break and come back and get into Marvel Star Wars 16 and 17. That's right. Back to the Star Wars, baby. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars. The greatest space fantasy of all. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about 
issues number 16 and 17 of Marvel Comics Star Wars. And uh, we'll start out, I'll pass it off to Scott here, who will give you a little synopsis of of uh, issue 16, The Hunter. I really like this issue. This is, uh, up to this point, this was uh, one of my favorites, because this character, um, he, he just struck a chord with me as a kid. But anyway, the cover, awesome cover by... Uh, the legendary Walt Simonson, and it even has a date on it in the corner of, of uh, April 1978. It's just a great cover showing this new character, the hunter, whose name will get inside. You know, he's walking up, he's got this big-ass gun with, a, with like a bayonet on the front of it. And we see Luke and Han and Chewie, the droids, and even uh, Jacks off the rabbit. And going to the inside credits on this story, the hunter are Alec, uh, excuse me, Archie Goodwin is the writer and editor. Guest artists for the issue are Walt Simonson and on inks Bob uh, Wycheck. And in this story, it starts right off with a ton of Star Wars action, where the uh, the hunter, whose name we're given right off the bat, his name is Valance, and he's a bounty hunter, and he's leading a team of bounty hunters into basically a hospital facility on this planet and he's telling him right off the bat he wants a clean sweep no survivors so they're sweeping through this place just shooting anything and everything and they come to a particular room and the guy that's in there tells him you know look this is just a, a computer record section you know we don't have anything of value and he tells him well he knows what it is and that's why he's there so they destroy the medical records section and a couple of, uh, in a different section of the facility, a couple of his men bust into uh, basically a sick bay area. And there on his deathbed is Don Juan Quixote, the possible Jedi Knight that we met a few issues back in the uh, solo adventure with uh, Han and Chewie. And he's basically in a delirium where he thinks that these guys have brought him his lightsaber so that he can go back into battle with Han and everybody else and he's telling the story of the battle he fought with Han and Chewie and Amaza and uh, and the rabbit and then he mentions the boy and his droid and when Valance's men hear this they call for Valance Valance wants to make sure you know is that really what he said you know are you sure you have the details right and they tell him that they do so they set off from the planet and they basically lay waste to the entire facility as they leave they blow it sky high and they take off looking for um, Jaxoff and Amaza. And they capture them on another, or they capture the rabbit on another planet. And they're torturing him, trying to find out what is the name of the planet where he and uh, Don Juan Quixote and Han and them had their big battle with the boy and his droid. And they secure, they eventually secure the, the name of the planet by accident. Because when Amaza frees um, the rabbit, she says, this is just like being back on a Duba 3, isn't it? And, you know, at which point... I'm sorry, uh, that just sounds dirty. What? When Amaza freed the rabbit. <laughs> she, she shouldn't be freeing the rabbit in public. All right, uh, sorry. <laughs> well, you know, the, then he's all upset because that's exactly what these guys want. You know, that's the piece of information that they wanted. And one of them, of course, is still alive to run off back to Valance and tell him the name of the planet. So um, Amaza and Jaxoff take off in his ship, the Rabbit's Foot. 
and hot tail it back to uh, uh, Duba 3 to warn Jim, the Starkiller kid, that somebody's on the lookout for him and that they're coming for him. Jim can't understand what in the world, you know, they'd want him for. You know, he's settled down with uh, that hot blonde chick, uh, Mary, and they're expecting their first baby. He's just a farmer now, so he doesn't see why he poses any threat or would be of interest to Valance. In the meantime, we cut back to Valance, and we get a nice little flashback tale of his days um, serving the Empire on an outworld skirmish when there was uh, a rebel attack and a rebel torpedo basically blew him and his unit up and that he should have died, but that he didn't. I'm sorry. Somehow. That sounds really obscene. What? When he got his unit blew, blew up. <laughs> sorry. I'm <laughs> going. <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're then we're treated to a really beautiful page that basically recaps all of Star Wars, the first movie of Star Wars, basically on one page, which is a hell of a feat. And we learn that um, Valance has a hatred for Luke Skywalker, apparently just because Luke likes his droids. He's struck up a friendship with his droids, and he doesn't treat them as servants or as slaves or anything. And for some reason, this really pisses Valance off. We'll come to find out why a little later in the issue. Anyway, they come out of uh, hyperspace to Aduba 3, and right away one of his men realizes that the villagers have been tipped off that they're coming. So they get into a little scrap with uh, the rabbit's foot as it's leaving the planet and basically, I guess, trying to... I don't know, is it trying to warn them off or fight them off or something from getting to the planet? I never quite understood exactly what the plot was, you know, what the idea was with uh, Amaza trying to, I guess she was just trying to fight the ship off from getting to the planet. Anyway, um, Valance ends up shooting down. Oh, I know what it was, is that they were trying to, I guess, kind of warn Valance and them off, but Valance pursues them because he thinks that they may have the boy um, aboard their ship. So he shoots them down. They plummet back into the atmosphere and down to the planet of Aduba 3. Valance and his men land, and uh, they are attempting to uh, take Amaza and the rabbit and the boy when... Uh, Jim, the Starkiller kid, starts a Bantha stampede, which basically wipes out Valance's men. So Valance is the only one left, and he's trying to make it back to his ship when he's suddenly surrounded by Jim and Amaza and the rabbit. And at this point, he realizes that the boy that he's suddenly confronting is not the boy in the hollow vids that he's seen of the person who destroyed the Death Star. In other words, this is not Luke Skywalker, who he has been hunting all this time. He's been chasing the wrong boy. So he creates a diversion and hightails it to his ship and blasts the hell out of there. And at the end of it, he says that, uh, you know, he underestimated them and that he should never have used his arm, which is, you know, he used his arm to create a basically a laser blast out of his arm. That was the distraction he used to get away. And uh, he said, but he did it swiftly and he thinks his secret should still be safe. 
and then he basically peels away half of his face and one of his hands to reveal that Valance himself is a cyborg. Yeah, he looks like and the Terminator. Basically. Very much like the Terminator, yeah. And that's apparently has something to do with why he hates droids and why he hates Luke, a guy that uh, that likes his droids. And so it's a little weird. It's a little, I guess, silly, but I love this issue. It's, I loved it as a kid. It's just goofy comic book psychology, you know. I'm is. half droid. I hate droids. It was, it was, you know, I think it all comes from, uh, you know, Hitler being half Jewish, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, that was... And there's always people saying, you know, Hitler was Jewish, you know, he was, he had lots, you know, in his family or whatever. So, so it's that sort of thing, you know, you, you, what you hate about other people is what you hate about yourself also. I'm not going anywhere near that. I'm going to touch on the fact that I didn't realize it until I saw it somewhere on the web today. It never occurred to me before for some odd reason, but this is a Star Wars tale. The first one to not feature any of the regular Star Wars cast. I mean, Luke, Han, Chewie, Leia, droids, none of them. Mentioned in flashback or just mentioned in passing by the characters. But there are no appearances by any of them in the story. I think that's that's pretty cool. And I think it, it stands up very well on its own as being a tale of, of, you know, this brand new character we're meeting for the first time. And then, you know, bringing back some of these, you know, some of the, I guess you'd have to say lamer characters from that earlier, <laughs> yeah. you know, Han and Chewie story. But, you know, I mean, they're, they're actually used they're better here. to great effect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're much better in this story. They're used to greater effect. Um, Don Juan Quixote does die in this story. He is, you know, he is wiped out in this story. And I think one of the reasons I was much more forgiving of the appearances of all of these earlier characters, even uh, even Jaxoff, is the fact that, you know, Walt Simonson is a – God, he's a great artist, you know? And he even makes the giant stupid Jar Jar Rabbit cool, you, mean, you know? You mean Bugs Binks? Bugs Binks. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's going to be his new name, Bugs Binks. Yeah, well, yeah, don't I mean, get too used to it because I don't think he ever turns up again. <laughs> I was trying to remember that after this book, and I think you're—I think you're right. I think this is the last time we see any of those characters. There might be I, I there might be wrong. somewhere towards the end of the run where you know Han Solo's remembering something, and you see a vast tapestry, and maybe him and Amaza like in the bat, you know, maybe something like that, you know, like the like the scene with the Star Wars characters in this one. But uh, there's one thing that I, I, I'm guessing that this doesn't happen in time sequence because of of where the story's been going. Because if this happens, like, directly after the last issue, I mean, the Starkiller Kid is really, you know, I mean, he's talking as if, like, years had passed. He's like, well, I'm an old farmer boy now, you know, and I'm married and settled down. And, you know, he just met that girl, like, five issues ago. So I'm thinking this takes place, you know... Sort of out is a story sort of outside the, the the timeline, at least in a you know an issue to issue manner. So yeah, yeah, and it, and I would say an issue to issue manner it, it probably does because yeah, I mean 
a lot more time has six... seemed to pass than has well, it would only it would be six months because yeah. we saw these guys at the end of what issue ten, and this is sixteen, so it's been six months. I mean, I guess that was enough time to, you know, to get his uh, his girlfriend or wife or whatever she's supposed to be knocked up at this point, and she, you know she is looking you know, noticeably pregnant in, in this issue, but still, yeah, you're right. He does make it sound like almost like he's been settled for quite some time. It can't be that long of a time, but you know, we won't see Valance again. You know, we do see him again, of course, but we won't see him again for, for a little bit. You know, it'll, it'll be a while. This might be taking place right before that. That's what I'm thinking. Could be. And I can't help to think that James Cameron, uh, I think James Cameron wrote the original Terminator, didn't he? I know he directed oh, it. Yeah. I think he wrote it, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I could mm-hmm. see James Cameron reading this comic, you know, and going, wow, because that last frame is cool. And God damn, if it does not look exactly like a Terminator. Exactly. If his <laughs> eye was glowing red instead of yellow, he would be a Terminator. And it also has this, that frame also has another one of the coolest things in the world is next issue, The Empire Strikes. Yes. I love yep. that. Although that's not the next <laughs> <I> issue. <know. laughs> but well, one, one last thing about this issue before we do go on to what actually was the next issue is uh, I find a nice parallel between this issue, um, which is, you know, a Simonson issue. And, you know, I'll, I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, he had that very, very famous run on Thor. You know, that's probably the most famous thing he's ever done, you know, arguably, was that run on Thor where he came in in the, what was it, in the, like, the 330s or whatever and created Beta Ray Bill and really brought Thor back to his greatness. But I don't think a lot of people realize that he actually did have a much shorter run on Thor several years before that more famous run. And this is kind of a parallel because... He had this one-off story in Star Wars, you know, number 16, created this character and everything. And I don't know how many people really remember this, but he did come back years later at uh, Star Wars number 49. And he had a run of about, I think it was like 13 issues. And that was some of the best stuff in the whole Star Wars, you know, Marvel Star Wars uh, run you know, at least art-wise, and some of the stories were some of the best stuff too, but at least art-wise, some of the finest art we would ever get in the entire series. And he had some great stories like uh, The Last Jedi and where they had a new station called the Tarkin and some different things. There was a story that I always liked where they went back to Cloud City. You know, he did that story, the story with uh, Shira Bry and all that, Luke Skywalker, Pariah. You know, he was the artist on oh, all that yeah, stuff. yeah, I love that, that cover of Luke Skywalker, Pariah. Yeah, so you know, we'll see we'll see both Valance the Cyborg and Walt Simonson again down the road and uh, and we'll be better for it. And that's Star Wars uh number 16. All right. Well, I guess I get to do number 17 and I'll do just a short synopsis cuz it's it's not really a very complicated story, but it's kind of cool because it's a flashback story of Luke's mm-hmm. time. It's a it's a standalone flashback story of Luke's um passed on tattooing and uh it's i like that the my um as far as art goes my favorite part of it is the cover <laughs> the cover art i think is the best and i think the um it looks like uh the covers to say is is that is that her her tri- oh wait it says on the side dave cockrum dave cockrum and McLeod. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 
it's a nice cover, nice twin sons of tattooing. It's Luke, you know, Luke posed with a blaster with some sand people behind him waving their gaffy sticks and, you know, um, some Jawas and a crashed land speeder. Oh, what do they call them? The hoppers? Skyhoppers, sky yeah. You know, a couple skyhoppers racing through what we probably assume is Beggar's Canyon. So yeah, I love this cover. It's one of the more dynamic ones we've gotten up to this point, I think. And then we get into the... Then we get into the inside, and it's uh, um, Chris Claremont wrote it, or wrote the plot anyway, and uh, it's Herb Trimpey and Alan Milgram are the guest artists. And I'm not a fan of Herb Trimpey's art, and this is, uh, you know, and now that I'm older, I can see it as he was maybe um, a follower of Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. you know, but his it doesn't work with him is like it did with Jack Kirby. His stuff always seems blocky to me. Anyway, that's that's not neither here nor there. The name of the story is Crucible, and it starts out with Luke on the Millennium Falcon, and is he's just sort of drifting off and and flashing back, and uh, so you know he's thinking of his times on Tatooine when he would, and there's actually a scene of him riding on his on his speeder and and uh, and bullseyeing a womp rat. <laughs> and being really proud of it, you know, I can't wait to go tell my friends, you know, it's a teenage, teenage Luke, and uh, there's, a, there's a scene where he goes home, and, and it's, you're, it's, it's almost a replay of, of episode four with Baru and Owen, where, you know, he's arguing with them about Biggs is leaving for the academy, he wants to leave, and sort of asks Aunt Baru what happened with him and dad, and she doesn't really want to talk about it you know she basically changes the subject to look look your uncle loves you you know he's he's just looking out for you he's just looking for the best for you and uh so you know then then luke goes back into his and, and i i love this scene he goes into his garage and he's sitting in his sky hopper and just sort of fantasizing about you know joining the republic and hooking up with ladies and shooting people and and uh uncle owen snaps him out of it you know, get your ass to work, little slacker. So, <laughs> so then basically, here we go into the American graffiti part, where you know Luke and Biggs are, and all their friends are driving around in their hot rods and driving through Beggars Canyon, and you know, you sort of get the, you sort of get the whole backstory of, you know, of all those references Luke Luke made to this, and uh, so you see him and his friends racing around, and you find out pretty quickly that. Uh, you know, that he and Biggs are the hot shots of both of them. They're the ones who, you know, always end up going further down this. It's very much like episode one pod racing where they're in a, you know, going through a canyon and, and there's several points where everybody's either going to crash or fly off or make it through. And Luke and Biggs are always the last two sort of surviving. And, and Biggs is usually the one who wins. Basically, then you have your... um equivalent of the teenage party afterwards they've all raced their cars now they're all hanging out with their with their uh with their girlfriends they get naked and run down to the beach and get ate by sh- oh wait it's, no i'm sorry that's different <laughs> no this but it is it's sort of beach blanket bing, bingo with with luke and his and his teenage buddies and they're all they're all dr- you know drinking and hanging around on their cars with their old ladies and then all of a sudden um um somebody comes 
in with their speed. You know, it looks like it's a burning speeder, or, you know, or either that or its engines are on fire anyway. But it crashes, and the guy falls out, and he's just like, "Look, there's Tuscan Raiders coming, and they're they're attacking." So all of a sudden, everybody's blasters start coming out, and the Tuscan Raiders start shooting at them. So they're they're sort of holding them off, and Luke and Biggs are like, "We gotta warn, you know, everybody else." So basically, Luke and Biggs are heading. You know, heading out to go warn everybody, and they're confronted with a Tuscan Raider who, who, actually, you see what a gaffy stick does. It's like a spear. He throws it and and hits Biggs in the shoulder. So Luke shoots a Tuscan Raider, gets Biggs into a hopper, and he's like, "Okay, we got to get you to help, and you know, warn the get back to the farm and and you know, tell him that Timmy's down in the well." So then we get to see Luke has to finally navigate this whole you know, whole canyon by himself. And the only way he's going to get in time to, to save everybody is to get through this canyon. And it's, and I think it's pretty much, uh, Diablo cut. Yes, it's pretty much hint, hinted that nobody's ever made it through the, the Diablo cut. You know, many have died trying. So he makes it all the way through, pops out at the end. And of course there's a whole bunch of Tuscan Raiders shooting out, flies over them, makes it back. It's, gets bigs, to help and uh, you know warns all the settlers and, and Uncle Owen, and uh, then we get back to uh, Luke in the in the Falcon where he's you know does a quick little catch up with his memory from of Star Wars, which happens a lot in these comics. This is the second time in two comics that you have a one page sort of synopsis of Star Wars, and then it's back onto the Millennium Falcon with. Uh, you know where Han sort of Han sort of snaps him out of it, and and off they go, and, and leading into next issue, which is the hand of the Empire. Even though the Empire didn't strike in this, but I guess it's getting ready to strike because the hand is coming in next issue. <laughs> the so, bib slap so, of the Empire. Yeah, exactly. So that's episode seventeen. Just a nice little flashback story that explains, and it's also something that usually annoys me and you is like. All right, all these references that Luke made, now we know exactly what they all were. But the thing is, it really um, shows... It works for this Yeah, one. it really... They tied it all together to show how, you know, they infl- how that those in- incidents influenced Luke enough to, to... So you see where he developed the skill and where he was first showing the potential of... You know, being a Jedi and and an adventurer, and and uh, despite the art in this, which you know the art is kind of awkward, herb trippy like art, the story really keeps it going. So the 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 bad art doesn't really bother me in a lot of parts, and there's some parts where the art looks okay. You know, this I think it's it's serviceable. Yes. I guess is what what you would call it is serviceable. But yes. you know, some it's of the early bland. panels in this remind me an awful lot of something that you would see in newspapers back in the day, like, like in the, like maybe like a flash Gordon or maybe right. not flash Gordon, but like a, like the phantom or something like that. It, it looks very newspaperish yes, to me. And it's, and it is also very, it's very Jack Kirby. It's inked very Jack oh, Kirby. Yeah. And, uh, the backgrounds are very Jack Kirby, that very blocky, rocky background. And right. where you don't have people's faces for a lot of the times it can, it can look really nice. You know, but people, I just, the way he draws faces is very kind of generic to me. 
Well, the combination of, of Trimpy and Milgram is, you know, with apologies to both gentlemen, it, it's not a good combination uh-huh. because they both do the blocky Jack Kirby right. thing. So you've got work. an artist that already draws that way and then an inker that inks very heavily that way. And it just comes off with, with really – it's not complimentary more right. than it's just – it's like doing it twice, you know. Well, it's it's you're getting the double layers of blockiness. Well, well page seven, <laughs> especially, is is I think almost goes beyond Jack Kirby tribute to almost Jack Kirby slavish copying, from yes. the way the stars look in the background to the way the spaceships look, to the way, and it's weird because it's Luke's imagination, and it's the only you know. There's parts like on the page before. There's a shot of Aunt Beru that's very Jack Kirby looking. Her face looks like and she it. looks nothing like Beru. <laughs> right, by the way. right. She's not a goddamn thing like Aunt Beru. She's got a '50s, you know. She's got dark hair in this sort of '50s house like mom. Patty, yeah, she's Patty Duke of tattooing. Yes, or something. yes, exactly. But well, that page that you mentioned, page seven. You remember back when uh, when Star Wars was first out, there were like a million knockoff toys for Star Wars. You know, trying to ca- cash in on hey, that popularity. Hang on, can I, I can I can we hold that thought? I got somebody at my door. Sure, I'll be right back. Oh, go ahead. Ah, Jesus Christ! You see how it is? I can't get anything done. I can't nail these people down for five minutes without them. I gotta take a piss. I gotta go get a snack. My ass hurts. <sighs> it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a miracle I ever get anything accomplished at all, really. Maybe I need a new co-host. Somebody that's, like, always around and reliable. Shit, maybe I don't need a co-host at all. Maybe I could just... I mean, if you're listening to me right now, then, you know... Obviously, I, I, I'm enough to entertain you, right? Right? All right. So maybe I could just do this all by myself. I don't really need him at all. I don't know. Write in and tell me what to think about that idea. We'll just have to see how that goes. It's something to think about. Or maybe a girl co-host. Yeah. Linda Carter can't be that busy right now. I mean, shit. That's an idea, too. <sighs> I wonder what's on TV. Sorry about that. Hey, there you are. Are you still recording? Yeah. Oh, good. So where were we? Um, well, we were talking oh, about... Oh, I was going yeah. to mention that... Uh, you remember when we were kids, you know, when the first Star Wars movie came out, and it seemed really worse, you know, with the Star Wars, the first one than than it ever was with any of the sequels or the prequels or anything. But there were all those really cheap ass knockoff toys that were just trying to cash in on Star Wars popularity. Yeah, I swear that I had a bucket. It was like a bucket of army men type of thing. Only it was like a bucket of spacemen. And the ships that were in that set were exactly like the ships here on page seven. I, I swear I had a set of little spaceships that looked just like that, like with the red flag type of thing on the back of them and all that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. There were a lot of little knockoffs that sort of sort of looked like X-Wing fighters but weren't, you know. What, mm-hmm. I, what I like about this episode I- issue is uh, since it's dealing with Luke on tattooing, it really shows a lot of parallels with 
it really like but way before episode one came out. But you know, there's another scene with him in the garage, which seems to be just like a place where Skywalkers go for reflection. <laughs> you know, that garage turns out so there's a sentimental value to that garage, and there he is, and you know, you sort of know where the story's going. Where Luke or Anakin, when they hit head in the garage, right? And, uh, and the scenes through Beggars Canyon and and, and all that were just no, very no. like the pod racing. It was now on that topic on page eleven at the beginning of the of the Skyhopper race. That's very much like the pod race. You're right. right. All right. I just got to thinking about. It. I was looking at the guy, third panel. And you he's got the like Prince ah Namor, face, Prince you know. Namor there. Yeah, <laughs> and I was looking at him and going, yeah, "He looks like somebody from GI Joe." Yes, he does. Well, you know what? I got to thinking. Wasn't Herb Trimpey the artist yes, years later was. on GI Joe? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's why this guy looks like what was the guy's name? Duke or something like that. From I don't know GI Joe from shit. I don't remember. But he sure does look like he could be yelling "Yo, Joe!" in this picture yeah. for that matter. It's, but yeah, he's he's very much a GI Joe looking dude. It's those straps that he's that are strapping him into his ship that make him look yeah. like he's got his GI Joe rucksack on, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's got the he's got the Liefeld pockets going there. Yeah. That's what that's all about. Yeah, well, yeah, that was of, one of my. That 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 actual frame is kind of obscene when you really pay attention to it. <laughs> For anybody who's got the comic open in front of them. You know, Your mind is just going in some strange places today. I don't think it's. I had to use my imagination too much on that scene. The guy is just like, it is. Even his he's, eyeballs are sort of like rolled up in his work, head a little bit. Yeah, he's working his joystick. Yes. And then he's uh, saying, well, on these know, curves, the only spot that leaves a rudder is against the rocks." <laughs> so yeah, he's he's getting all excited about about his fast car well you know i can i can forgive a lot of the other uh things with the art even the the extremely feminine luke throughout almost the entire (laughs) issue because biggs really looks good man he really nailed you know for somebody who didn't wind up in the film yeah you know for for more than just his death scene you know he he really did nail uh biggs i mean he looks really good yeah, he looks and, like Biggs does, and he sort of captures the body language of of Biggs, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I liked. Uh, I liked the just maybe that was why I always liked this issue as a kid. Anyway, there was something about Biggs. He's you know he he's, 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 he's got the Boba Fett thing. Yeah. Huh? Well, I think he's got the Lando sort of thing going. He's got the cape like oh, yeah. Lando, and he's got that sort of suave. You know, he's Luke's cooler, older friend. You know, he's the guy who's taking, uh, yeah, that's taking Luke under his wing. So he's just like, you know, his 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 mentor. He's the he's a suave. You can see him with his you know forty ouncer and and the ladies. <laughs> he's definitely got the he's got the definitely got the hey ladies mustache. The Burt Reynolds work in there. <laughs> well, this issue also, uh, I, I think uh, either it was just dumb luck and, and happy happenstance, or I like to I like to think that maybe uh, Archie Goodwin and, and Chris Claremont did their homework. But you know, when Luke makes a reference about you know saving money up to buy some macro binoculars, you know that we eventually do see him using in the first issue of Star Wars, yeah. you know, to to witness the space battle and all that. And then, you know, it's been speculated by fans that uh, 
maybe the reason why Luke went after R2 in his land speeder rather than in the Skyhopper is, you know, we do see the Skyhopper in the garage in, right. in the original movie, and maybe it was in there busted up from this very scene here at the end. So I, I like oh, that. Right, I like right. How that could all kind of tie together. Well, we know the real reason was probably just budgetary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, they couldn't afford to do that special effect. And actually, they probably could have because it, it turned out the land speeder was just more of a pain in the ass than they ever thought it was going to be. That was one of their big problem sticking points with that movie was getting the land speeder to look like George Lucas wanted it to, you know, to make it. And I don't think he ever succeeded until he fixed it. In the But, you know, you know. I mean, I guess they could have just done some green screen stuff with the Skyhopper and stuff. But I remember reading that when I was a kid that they had the Skyhopper there, but they never used it because it would it would have been too expensive to build the model and have him fly it. So, right. And, uh, it's a shame that we never got to see it on screen. You know, in in any. Well, I guess we do see one. Don't we see one? in it's either in the special edition. Or maybe it's at the end of – I can't remember now. Maybe it's at the end of the special edition of Jedi or something. We do see a, a shot of of like Mos Eisley, and I think there's a Skyhopper either flying in or flying out of uh-huh. it or something like that. I, I forget now, but I know that we do see one I'm at, surprised at some that we point. Didn't. I'm surprised that we didn't because – <laughs> they've used everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, I just want to point out that the the Star Wars flashback has another the the Herb Trimpy Chewbacca is is a new sort of look for Chewbacca with this weird sort of like domed head with mutton chop like fur on his face <laughs> on his on his cheeks, and then it has. This great scene of Luke with the lightsaber, and, it, and Ben Kenobi is like behind him with his finger, like getting ready to tap him on the shoulder and go, "Ah, uh, Luke." <laughs> yeah, he does. Lightsaber, put the lightsaber down for a second, and Luke's just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just a weird little, it's just a weird little picture, and I like the picture of Princess Leia and Luke's like dancing around her or something. He's like. She's like reaching through his armpit to take a shot, you know. I mean, that's got to well, be and that one, weird. but I mean the one where he's looking at the at the hologram, the R2's projecting. Oh yeah. He's looking at the hologram, <laughs> he's like doing the twist or something while he's doing, it, you know. I mean, I, if I remember in the movie, he was just sort of looking. And this one he's going like, "What is that?" when like flinging his arms around or something. And then they're shooting at like the giant Darth Vader head at it the, looks like a the Battle of the Death Star or something. It looks yeah. like those toy gumball dispensers that you got with a kid. I love picking on her trippy. And then, then the Death Star blowing up actually looks like the little ball that Luke was, you know, sparking. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it does. It looks like the little remote. Yeah, it's, it's not a really spectacular Death Star explosion. It's just sort of like. Well. Just, just remember, without Herb Trimpy, we wouldn't have Wolverine. So, is that know. is that a fact? <laughs> wouldn't that be a crime? Maybe we'll go back in time and eliminate Herb Trimpy. Oh I no, like Wolverine! I, I shouldn't say that, but I'll just be a bastard because I guess that's how I am in this this episode. <laughs> and then there, and then there's the other, the the last scene with with Luke and Han on the Falcon. And in front of the giant view screen window, 
But it looks like Han's like it looks like one of those staged photo ops where one person's going to shake the other person's hand, and Han's just sort of got his hand out like, "Hey, shake." It's just weird, and Luke's got his joystick in his hand, also, or his lightsaber. One of the two. One I'm not two. sure. He, yeah, and that that's 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 a little weird that Luke's just always you know, playing around with his lightsaber. That would be, that would creep me out a little bit. Like he has got one weird look on his face. When you look at him really close to, he's like, he's going <laughs> oh, you mean, like he's like, well, in the, in the close up on that, which is a weird close up because it's sort of not centered. And he has that sort of like lips stuck out. Like he's semi retarded look on his, you know, and he's got the 5,000 yard stare. Yeah. Is this sort of like, huh? And like the, the, the Gumby, like the Gumby characters from uh, Monty Python. <laughs> hey, but you know what? He does draw a good-looking Millennium Falcon in that last yeah. panel, though. Yeah, it's 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 pretty accurate compared to some of the other depictions we've seen in the yep. in the past. But you know, once again, the story just sort of sort of makes up for the art. You know, we're making fun of it, but the art isn't that terrible. It's not you no. know, painfully terrible. Maybe now, at I wonder, a points, but eh, for the most part, it's... Now, I wonder what this issue could have been, though, if the cover team of of Dave Cockrum and Bob McCloud had done the interiors then. Because uh, I already like the story. I think the story's fine. I yeah. think the story's really good. So imagine that that cover art through the interior, and I think you'd, you'd have one rocking issue right here. Because it is or a pretty Walt good Simonson, tale. for that matter. Oh yeah, yeah. But I, I do. I, you know, despite the art, I, you know, and and I, I guess probably back in the day, I was I was forgiving of it too because, you know, with that that newspapery kind of feel, you know, I was digging the newspaper stuff. Yeah. At the same time, this would have been coming out, and that was uh, the Russ Manning stuff. And I mean, he's not the flashiest or fanciest artist either. I mean, I, I like his stuff, and it's passable, but it's not anything to you know to blow you away either. I mean, it's typical um, newspaper art. So maybe that's why it, it didn't you know it didn't really bother me as a kid or what. And of course, like I've said before, I mean, I, I absolutely can't be objective with these you know with these issues you know with this series especially, but. Particularly the issues that, you know, I had as a as a really young kid. I mean, we'll we'll hit some issues later on that it took me, you know, into my later years to be able to track down, and I'm not so sentimentally attached to them. Right. But the these two issues are are not part of that. I mean, these ones I got, you know, as a kid, and so I'm I'm very much you know looking back at them through through child eyes and you I, know and I'm not really because this is sort of the point where the, there was there was a good chunk in here at starting around here starting with the last issue where I did where I wasn't getting them for a while till I think after empire well I mean we're coming up this, this is where it's going to get really interesting now that we've got these two issues out of the way because now we come up to some of the the stranger period in in Marvel Star Wars, you know, we're starting into a, another uh, a new arc with the uh, with the next issues. Yeah, it's it's eighteen through twenty three. So what is that? That's six issues. So what we'll do is we'll split that up into th- two three issue arcs. Because what it is is they they begin a new story. 
starting the next issue where they go to the wheel. And that was an arc that lasted, you know, the six issues, but it, it lasted a little long and, and the story got a little long and, and it had a good art team and you know, it had a good writer and art team on it, but it just, to me, wasn't up to par with the, 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 thing prior to this with water world and all that but you know we'll we'll cover it in depth and go through it um but you know there are some good points to it and uh, we see the return of uh a big deal in in the star wars universe you know at one point in this so and then going forward you know we go into some stuff where we have some stories that are you know hit and miss so yeah, it, it, from here it gets really interesting, I think, because we, we get stories that are, you know, kind of run the gamut from, you know, really good to, you know, I won't say really bad, but mediocre, mediocre and, and, sure. any, and anywhere in between, you know. But I can't think of anything off the top of my head that in this period that I thought was particularly bad, you know. But there are stories, I think most of the stories that I would classify as, Ugh, they were just terrible, most of those stories seem to take place in the early post empire issues, like before, uh, before uh, Simonson comes back at 49. So somewhere in that stretch between empire in the early forties and 49, there was, I remember there was a, a couple stories that were just really kind of weak, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that'll be, you know, that'll be for, for later on. Next time we'll be doing, Issues 18, 19, and 20. 20. The big 2-0. And with, with 18, we'll be getting the promised The Empire Strikes story. Finally. Or at least it says that on the cover. Yeah, a great cover, too. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my... That's, I, I remember specifically seeing that issue sitting at your house. That was one of the issues that was in one of those... Fa- a paper bag, a phase paper bag. <laughs> Probably. All right, we'll be back next time. Bye. <laughs> Visit our website at two truefreaks.libsen.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. Two True Freaks. Libson.com is spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S. Libson, which is L I B S Y N. com. You can email us directly at Two True Freaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the Two True Freaks podcast. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.